Hey, welcome everyone. So glad you could join us this morning. Let me just begin with prayer. Father, I want to thank you for giving us this opportunity this morning to meet together with you. Father, we thank you for uh, the worship already this morning that's begun to tune our hearts to you. And this morning, as we step into the Advent season, I pray that you'll help us to sharpen our senses spiritually, to be aware, to be alert of what you're doing in us and through us and for us. Father, especially this morning, I pray that you'll help us take something of significance out of here that will affect us and guide us and give us nourishment and help for the week. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, to start, um, I want you to repeat after me. You know, truth be told, I hate this stuff, the repeat after me stuff, but I want you to repeat after me. <laughs> so repeat after me, I can't. Okay, a little bit better than that. I can't. God can. I'm going to wait on him. Okay, we're going to do it one more time. I can't. God can. I'm going to wait on him. That's my message. Now, let me begin this morning with a confession, okay? The truth is, I absolutely hate waiting. I do. I hate waiting. I do everything I can to avoid it. I look for shortcuts and loopholes because waiting, as you know, can be so frustrating. I remember once, just recently, when I was uh, waiting at the Canada-US border. I was driving from Sarnia and heading to Port Huron, and as I was approaching the US border, I was carefully sizing up each of the lines to figure out which one might be the fastest. And can anyone relate to that? Yeah. And lo and behold, just then I caught a break because a new booth opened up. And I was one of a few people that scooted over right away to fill that void. And do you know what happened next? Somebody a few cars in front of us had some kind of massive problem at the border and our line got stuck and it felt like an eternity. We were just sitting there where all those cars that were ahead of or behind me were scooting by and heading off into the US of A. And that is kind of symbolic of my waiting stories. I think, I just want you to think for a moment of all the places we have to wait these days. We have to wait in the dentist or the doctor's office. We wait in line at the grocery store. We have to wait in line at the ATM, at the bank. We often have to wait in line to, in the mall. We arrive, we wait for things to arrive in the mail. We wait at movie theaters, um, airport security lines, you name it. There's all kinds of different places we wait and it seems like we're waiting all the time in a box or with a fox or on the town, or with a frown, Dr. Seuss would say, right? You're waiting all the time though, it's just endless. One study calculated that Americans alone spend 37 billion hours waiting in lines each year. And we've all had lots of opportunities to experience what waiting is like. And the vast majority of us, like me, hate it. In, in general, I think our culture views waiting as a negative thing, because we want something, we want stuff, and we want it now. We want to avoid waiting. We buy technology to speed our lives up and to get, get things faster. We look for ideas or hacks to make our life more productive. That's why, you know what, 
With my deep dislike of waiting, I was actually pretty surprised to find out that Scripture has such a positive view of waiting, especially waiting on God. So the Bible here is extremely countercultural. It presents us with something that's completely different than what we hear every day in the world. Waiting in the Bible is seen as a very positive thing. This morning, the Nettleships let uh, Amelia and Rebecca lit the first candle of Advent, which kicks off the Advent season. This Sunday is all about hope and about waiting. And for the next four weeks leading up to Advent, or leading up to Christmas, sorry, in the church calendar, what maybe, maybe you don't realize this, this is New Year's today, it's New Year's in the church calendar. It's the start of a new church year. So happy New Year. The passage for this uh, first Sunday of Advent comes from the first chapter of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter one, verses five to 15. I'll read those. If you have a Bible, pull it out. You can read along. Luke chapter one, verses five to 15. If you don't, the words will be on the screen behind me. And why don't we, as Terry Norris often does, why don't we stand? He invites us often to stand for the reading of the word. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside, praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. We've named this Christmas series Scandalous. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a different part of the Christmas story that something in each message will be something that catches us by surprise, something unexpected or shocking. And this passage we read this morning fits the bill. Here we have an old couple long past their childbearing years, and finally it says their prayer has been answered and they're being blessed with a child. There are a few things I think that are worth noting in this, in this passage. First, in Luke's telling of the story, he really puts a spotlight on Zechariah and Elizabeth and their faithfulness. They're described in the passage as righteous. And that wasn't just that they kept the law, but they were virtuous and they were moral and they were sincere, pious, godly people. Second, I think it's fascinating, you wouldn't know this right away, but it's fascinating that Zechariah actually means God remembers, which is really fitting for the context here. We're told in the passage that Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting on God. 
So this story is about God remembering their prayer and giving them a son, even in their older years. And his parents who were chosen miraculously to have a child in their older years, Zechariah and Elizabeth, share a story that's deeply embedded already in the memory of God's people. They share a situation with some of the most significant people in the Bible. For example, Zechariah and Elizabeth here remind us of the story of Abraham and Sarah in the first book of the Bible. A righteous and blameless couple, too old to have children, are given the ability to have a son. So this passage, in its essence, reminds us of a really important truth. God's people have always, always been dependent upon him and upon his presence for his intervention in their lives. Just as God intervened in the seemingly hopeless situation in, the, in, in, in Zechariah and Elizabeth's um, life and in uh, Sarah and Abraham's life in the past, God can step in and he can make the impossible possible again. For Elizabeth and Zechariah, their son, we're told, is given an incredible task. He will grow up to be John the Baptist. He will be the forerunner of Israel's greatest king. He will proclaim the coming of Jesus. He will herald the long-awaited Messiah's arrival. As I looked through the scriptures this week, um, as I prepared for this message, I was looking at different scriptures that refer to waiting on God, and there are lots of them. One of my very favorites is in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. In the 40th chapter of that book, there's a really well-known verse, some of you might even know it because it used to be a song we sang a fair bit. It goes like this. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not faint. It turns out that these lines were written as part of a message to the nation of Israel who were in Babylonian exile. Their country and their beautiful temple had been trampled and steamrolled. They were dragged off to Babylon hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away. And now they were living as captives in a foreign country, longing to go home, exhausted, defeated, and humiliated. But eventually, we're told they were set free. And as they turned their faces westward out of Babylon and began that long journey home, these are the words that God gave them. And they waited on God for strength. And there are many, many other examples. If we went through the scriptures, you'd see lots of examples. All of them, waiting on God, has a very positive message to it. So why exactly, I asked myself, does the Bible have such an affirming view of waiting? And as I looked into this, I came to the realization, it's actually not very complicated, that the main reason that scripture has such a positive view of waiting is because waiting recognizes that God and not us is in control. Let me say that again. Scripture recognizes that ultimately God and not us is in control. So yielding ourselves to God um, means that we trust God, that we wait confidently for him to come and bring about the things that we long and pray for. The great South African pastor, Andrew Murray, knew this. He put it in one of his books like this. If salvation, he said, is indeed the work of God and is entirely his work, just as our creation was, it follows, Andrew Murray said, as a matter of course, 
that our first and our highest duty is to wait on God, to do all that pleases him. Waiting becomes the only way to experience, he says, the full salvation, the only way. It's the true way to know God as the God of our salvation. That's a big call to us as his children. Now, I want you to think for a moment about a situation in your life that you have no control over. It could be a relational strain. It could be some deep unmet need in your life. I want you to think about something though that you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for. Just think of that for a moment. Because we all have some areas in our life where we just can't make something happen. I was thinking about it. I can't, for example, make other people turn and trust God. I can't solve giant problems like injustice or I can't fix the plight of global hunger or homelessness. I can't decide the weather. And these things, these are large issues, but as I think about it and go, if you think about it and go deeper, my ability to control what goes on in the world around me really runs much deeper than that. There's a, very, there's a limit to what I can do. I can't control the actions of others. It doesn't seem I'm evil, able even to control myself sometimes in some situations. If we're honest, I think we're ourselves. There's just so much in our lives that seems like it's out of control. And being willing to wait on God, I think, becomes then an important spiritual practice. By waiting on God, we say, I recognize my limits. I realize that I need to yield and I need to surrender because I'm not the one who's in control. Here's an interesting fact that I just learned recently. Did you know that turning things over to God or waiting on, on God was part of what sparked the Alcoholics Anonymous movement? I don't know how many of you were aware of that. But in the beginning, when it was just getting started, AA got its 12 steps from a discipleship group called the Oxford Group. And this group started with three foundational statements. One, they said, we recognize that our lives have become unmanageable. Second, it says we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And third, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God. I can't, God can, I'm gonna wait on him. And that's what's going on in the passage I read this morning with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're waiting and they're waiting for God to step in and step into their lives and step into history again. They're longing for the coming of a Messiah. And they've been praying for a long time for the coming of their own son. And they'd long given up. But it's interesting in the passage I read that it goes back and it says, God has heard your prayer is the announcement from the angel to Gabriel or to uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. They can't, but God can. And to their surprise, as they left it with him, God heard their prayers and initiated something miraculous in their midst. They will have a child, even though it seems impossible, and this child will be the forerunner of the one they had longed for. So let me ask you this morning, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for in your life? Now, just take a moment and go back and think of the things you've been praying for, and I want you to just choose one thing. What are you waiting for in your life? 
As you hold that in your mind, there might be a bunch of things I realize, but hold one thing in your mind. I want to go through some simple steps that I think will be helpful to you. They sure were for me. I want to talk about what it looks like to practice waiting on God this morning for your particular need and for mine. And instead of making this overcomplicated, I'm going to approach it in a really practical way and give you some advice for what it looks like to wait on God. First, when we're waiting on God, there are going to be times in our life when we feel really unsure of what our next step is. And in times like that, it's best not to rush into doing something, not to rush into action. Instead, waiting for times like that involves declaring your dependence on God and praying for wisdom and insight. In fact, I'd go so far to say is the first action, the first action you should take in waiting is always prayer. That's the first action. So spend time in prayer, listening to and speaking to God about what's on your heart and mind. Seek God's direction and don't act immediately out of urgency alone. But second, at some point, and you've, you've faced this because I've faced it too, you've got to decide what kind of waiting you're going to do. And I think it's worth um, sort of differentiating or, or um, describing a difference between two, two kinds of waitings. There's a waiting that I'll call passive waiting, which still involves effort, but the effort is mainly spent in surrender and trust. Passive waiting is not doing something other than waiting on God in trust. So you don't step into things, you don't jump into problem-solving mode, you withdraw and you invite God to intervene. You pray for wisdom and you quiet yourself before him. A couple of passages that really speak to passive waiting are um, the psalmist in, in Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Stop, just stop. Don't have to do anything yet. Another passage, Exodus 14, where God speaks to his children and says, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Those are two examples of passive waiting. The effort involved in that is surrender and trust. One important detail about passive waiting, I think, is it can be a reason for some people to just do, avoid doing anything or just ignore doing anything. Waiting, though, in passive waiting is something you actively do. And when clarity emerges on the next step and it involves action, then you've got to step in and start. So that's passive waiting. You can just imagine emptying your, or lifting up your empty hands and trusting God, letting God intervene and direct. Finally, though, there is a second kind of waiting that, that does actually require action. Actively waiting on God requires that you step into a situation in addition to prayer and surrender, and that you do something. And I think this can be sometimes the most difficult path for all of us because we don't want to rush ahead of God. We don't want to just do our own thing. But we want to be ready to take whatever stop, steps that God has given. And in some cases, it's very obvious what the next step is. But in others, it's very unclear. The choice is not easy. So my suggestion here is for help and for discernment that you invite somebody spiritually mature to come along with you and help discern whether 
the next step, the next action step you take is the right step. Confidentially, if you have to, and bring someone in, somebody you admire spiritually, somebody you think is strong spiritually, that you can respect their insights and uh, you know that they're saturated and marinated in the word. And invite them into the situation and you ask them to help you discern what is God calling me to do? And during that entire process, remind yourself that God is ultimately in control and that as you continue to wait on him, you will take the next step when it's revealed. Now, what that next step is can be very different because we're all so different. Each one of us has such different lives and you have different situations you're working through. But if God gives you clarity and calls you to take a next step, then take it. Ultimately, you may not have the power to make things happen, but God can be at work. And don't underestimate how powerfully he can step in. Mostly this morning, though, what I want you to remember is that we can't, but God can, so we should give it to him. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you because you're not a God that hides from us, but you're a God that reveals yourself to us. Father, I pray for each one of us here. We all had something in mind that we're waiting for. We long to see you break in. We long to see heaven just open wide and for you to intervene in that situation. And Father, if if you can do that, we realize we're powerless to bring that about on our own, but if you can do that, we will give you the glory. We will recognize it was by your hand and your hand alone. Thank you for your goodness, Father, as we go into this Advent season, help us to be attentive and reminded of your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name.